Thanks, Jack. I'll say, bless the Lord, if you'll say, oh, my soul, bless the Lord. Bless his holy name. Good evening, Kairos. Good to see you guys. I'm Chris. I'm the pastor here. We're in the middle of a series called Namesake. Come find yourself in the family of God. I'll tell you one namesake that I'm really, really thankful for, and that's that good-looking human being behind me, Michael Boggs. Um, he is an incredible worship pastor and leader and friend. Um, he is someone who I trust implicitly. Uh, I think the Lord has given us a kindred spirit about how to love and lead and serve the church. I've watched him firsthand uh, love Jesus, pursue his wife, and adore his son. And the people that work around him, he elevates them every single chance he can get. And uh, about three years ago, I got invited to a family called Kairos, and he made sure there was a seat at the table for me. For over 10 years, he's loved and led and served this congregation well. And I'm so glad that I get to call him friend. But part of me being able to call him friend also means I get dirty stories on him um, that uh, he tells me not to share. And I will absolutely share one tonight with you. Um, so Boggs is Oklahoma born and bred. Um, he uh, is uh, this, oh yeah. <laughs> um, Hey, hey, I think he was the pride joy of his hometown. He's two-time Little League World Series champion, also football stud, headed uh, to play college ball and decides to make a U-turn and go straight into ministry, of which his dad didn't talk to him for like two years after that, which is just delightful. But part of his family heritage and legacy and the namesake of Boggs is he grew up underneath something that was said as truth, but was kind of questionable. And when they started talking about it, it was a real dark season in their family's history. Um, Box, if you take a look at his complexion, that's blonde hair, blue eyed, strawberry blonde, whatever, fair skin's gonna sunburn on a cloudy day type guy. He grew up being told that they had strong Native American bloodlines. You all are mean laughing at him like that. (laughs) My question is, do you think Boggs is Native American or Naive American? (laughs) So he tells the story that uh, they've always taken pride in their heritage, uh, Native American culture. And then all of a sudden, finally, his aunt, who's about 60 years old, loves genealogies, once heard the story from her grandmother, wants to go ahead and have documentation that proves uh, that there's Native American blood running through their veins. So she does one of those spiritual DNA tests, not spiritual DNA, uh, <laughs> legitimate DNA tests, like take blood, send it off, pay like three grand to get your ancestry.com type stuff, right? So <laughs> I don't want to ruin the surprise. I know school backs in and you're not really excited about taking tests, but let's just take a short test together, okay? When the tests come back for the Boggs' bloodline, do you think they find A, that they're Cherokee? It's multiple choice. It's easy. B, that they're part of the Chickasaw Nation. C, that they're Pawnee. Or D, none of the above. How many people say A? Absolutely. I can see it. There's one. Thank you. Great. B, Chickasaw, because they had some ruddy people in their tribe, right? C, Pawnee. How many people are going to say D, none of the above? Like, I'm sorry to break it to you. You are correct. (laughs) K, 
came back, sorry to break it. The truth is your name has nothing to do with Native American history. His uncle was so furious, convinced it was wrong, dropped another three grand to test his blood to send it off to get the same results. Six G's dropped to prove a lie <laughs> was not actually true. And then he's so angry, they find out the origins of this was about 50 or 60 years, somebody was selling a heritage Ponzi scam where they came and said, well, do your genealogy and see if there's any Native American blood in you. And if there is, you might be entitled to certain benefits. So someone in their family coughed up a couple hundred bucks for some guy to totally run a sham on them. He comes back and says, oh, yeah, you're a part of this tribe. Here's your roll number for the tribe. The uncle takes the roll number for the first time to the tribe and says, uh, we're, we're a part of this tribe. He's like, uh, buddy, those numbers don't even match our numbers. Like, that's not even the right amount of numbers. Whoever sold this to you was absolutely lying question I have for you tonight is we're doing a series about namesake and come find yourself and family. If I could do a spiritual DNA test on you, would the blood of Christ be anywhere in your family line? Would there be any genetic markers in your life that prove beyond a shadow of a doubt you belong to the family of God? Let me save some of you guys $6,000. The sad truth is, is no. Because too many of us, we've grown up in or around religion or what passes for it, and we've been sold the lie. We've substituted rituals for relationships. We substituted knowledge for discipleship. We decided to try, try, try again rather than being born again. And in the process, we replaced morality with the mission that Jesus intended us to live on. And even if there are some of us, I think, who know, man, I repent, I believe, I trusted in Jesus Christ. He's the way, the truth, and the life. I believe in his life, death, and his resurrection. And I'm trying to get ready for his return to the best of my ability. Why is it so many of us claim to be set free from, by Christ but are living lives of slavery? Quietly living lives of depression, oppression, and repression, trying to find out who we were created in the identity in Christ and desperately longing to experience the abundant life he came to offer. And that's why we're doing a series around identity and purpose to discover our true identity in Christ and to make sure not only that we're a part of the family of God, but that we're fully participating in the family of God. So I love the text that Jacoby just read for us. It's a fan favorite for plenty of people who want to start churches and plant churches and want to go, hey, this is what it looked like at its best. There's some spiritual DNA markers of what every church should have a part of it in there. But I just want you to give just a little bit of context, if you'll permit me. This comes on the coattails of a 24-verse sermon by Peter where he brings the heat and people's hearts melt. He stands up bold and in the spirit and preaches the resurrected Jesus to a huge crowd. And here's what he, how he concludes his sermon in verse 36. Therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. He is the promised one. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? 
Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord God will call. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourself from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message and were baptized were about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Somebody in here, all you needed to hear was that being read over you and you're cut to the heart right now and you need to get saved. You gotta go, you know what? I've been putting it off for far too long. I wanna repent. I wanna be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and I wanna receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If that's you, you don't have to listen to the rest of this sermon. Just quietly find someone, walk out and say, let's take care of that right now. I don't wanna put you in a spot, embarrass you, but if you know that's you, that's what you need right now, do not hesitate. Let the power of the Holy Spirit come upon you, convict you of your sins, and come be a part of the family of God. All moments are in this moment. Respond as you are led and discover yourself in the family of God. But for many of us, that passion and the privilege to be a part of the family of God is worn off and it's waned and it's got diluted and we're not even sure if Christ is getting lost in a religion that bears his name called Christianity. And you gotta understand, this is an incredible passage of scripture, right? We're gonna get to the incredible byproduct of this incredible sermon, which is people are devoting themselves to teaching and prayer, they're breaking bread, they're meeting daily in the temple, they're doing it with glad and sincere hearts, they're selling all their possessions to make sure no one has need. It is absolutely remarkable. It is this climatic, colossal and albeit chaotic moment in salvation history. It's climactic, right? This is what all the Old Testament prophets were prophesying about. The Messiah is here. Now the universal age of the Holy Spirit has come. It's colossal. Not God's Spirit coming on just some men and women at certain times for certain roles. Now anyone and everyone who enters the family of God through the name of Jesus gets the Holy Spirit. You become God's tabernacle here on earth, a conduit for his power and his purposes. And people are going bananas. But it's also a little bit chaotic. I don't know what Peter was thinking about as a preacher Recently restored for denying Christ, hiding out, waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. And then at this big festival, he stands up and he just starts gripping it and ripping it. I don't know if he was hoping for maybe one or two or maybe three converts. All of a sudden, there's 3,000 people joining the family. It's all adopted, ready to roll. And they probably don't have the resources or the systems prepared for any of that. Now... For those of you who know my family, my family's story, we got four kids. I struggle with four kids. I couldn't imagine 3,000 all at once. Our fourth is adopted. Love it. Incredible journey. Very difficult, exhausting, financially, spiritually, emotionally. That's our story. Not everybody's story, okay? Uh, if you want to have a family one day, I would ask you to prayerfully consider expanding it through adoption. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel. It doesn't make me better than you. It just makes me someone who understands this in, in a significant way. So... I have friends who, and I don't like them very much, but it's their story, not mine, right? 
They're the ones that are like, yeah, I think we're going to adopt. And I'm like, brace yourself, bro. It's going to take twice, as long as you think. You're going to run through the way. It's going to be, you're going to be attacked. It's going to be awful. It's going to be all this stuff. I also tell them this. Hey, watch out. When you decide to adopt, it's usually the biggest fertility drug you can ever take. Like, it's unbelievable how many, oh, we couldn't get pregnant, and we decided to adopt. Bloop. Okay, just, just warn you, watch out for that. But then I got friends who, they hand their paperwork in. Three days later, they got a child's coming home, and on Friday, they find out they're pregnant. And it's like, ah, uh, that's not what we signed up for, Jesus. That square footage just got real small. I got a buddy right now who's probably about in year two and a half of adoption. About a week ago, we were all around uh, the dinner table, and we saw a picture of his son, super excited. They're trying to figure out travel arrangements, all this good stuff. Get a call. Yesterday, by the way, we found out he has a sibling. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> What's one? Find out one more. Come on. I got another buddy who his sister came home with eight sibling sets. Whoop. Like, can you imagine this? Peter's preaching the message. The first convert walks up and says, I'd love to be adopted into the family of God. That's great, son. What's your name? Oh, my name's Chris, and I have 2,999 siblings behind me. Do you have room for them? <laughs> Chaos reigns. If you don't think it's not chaotic, just start reading Paul's epistles, because that family gets crazy. But it's this wonderful, beautiful, climactic, and colossal moment when God does something infinitely beyond what we can hope, think, dream, or imagine. And he's going to release power and resources beyond our own human capabilities so that we come to love and trust and serve him. And then no matter what the next step is, we'll take it in faith for his providence. And this is... This was right before I came out. Some of you came here to hear this tonight. Whatever it is, God will provide. Whatever it is you walked in here going, mm -mm, I don't have enough for that. God will provide. He is faithful. And he's seen if you will trust him with the next step. You can't see four, five, or six. You just know, oh my gosh, this is the height of my faith and my sacrifice and my trust and my resources. I sure hope you're going to meet me here. It is always worth trusting in the faithfulness of God. And so this family blows up. It starts running and gunning. And I believe that we find in the text that Jacoby read three genetic markers for the family of God, a triple helix, if you will, <laughs> biology people, right? <laughs> that these are the things that are evidence. We are part of the family of God and we participate in the family of God. All right, so the first one you have, and bear with me as I write slow and sometimes misspell, is you have passionate spirituality. Then you have radical community. And then you have missional zeal. That means you can't help but to talk and do about what you've seen and what you've heard. These are the three distinct genetic markers of the family of God. So quite simply, sometimes the way that I like to refer to this is this is up, this is in, 
and this is out. That as the family of God, we have decided this. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we will step up, we will step in, and we will step out in faith. That's what makes us the family of God. And when we stop doing those things, we betray the Father's heart. It is our birthright and it is our bloodline to do all three of these things. And they were meant to live in tandem, in alignment with one another. When one of these things gets off, the whole car ride is messed up. I got a minivan right now. It's wobble, 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 and it's not good, and I don't like it, and I want a new one. Take it to the garage. Good old boy just goes, hey, that engine is real heavy. You need to uh, rotate your tires more often. They're going to wear unevenly. The second one goes out, the whole thing starts to rattle. And that's the same thing with the church and the family of God. We got to make sure these are always in alignment. These things were meant to live in partnership with one another. So passion and spirituality in our text, right? They're committing themselves to the apostles' teaching, which is what? I'm teaching you what Jesus taught me. I'm telling you about the life and the teachings of Jesus, and I'm interpreting the Old Testament in light of the Messiah. And here's what I saw Jesus do almost every day. He went out by himself to be alone with the Father. He gathered his disciples, and he went out to preach the kingdom of God and heal those who were in sick and in need. Up in and out, passionate spirituality, radical community, missional zeal. This is also Micah 6.8, right? What does the Lord require? That we do justice, love mercy, and walk with God. Up, in, and out. It's time for us, church, if we want to reclaim our birthright and our bloodline, for us to step up into our identity, step in to community, and step out with authority on the mission and the message of Jesus. So much fun in that text. There meeting together daily in the temple, committing themselves to prayer and the apostles' teaching. They're breaking bread with one another, meeting each other's homes, selling everything that they own and making sure that there's no needs among these new 3,000-member sibling sets. As Mike Glenn always reminds us, some of those, the day they converted, were kicked out of their families. And that was their new spiritual family. And they're trying to figure out how they're going to make it work. And then the Lord was adding to their number daily. They didn't just go, oh my gosh, look how good we have it. Let's not make sure no one else gets in on this. Oh my gosh, my small group is perfect. I don't want anyone else in here. (laughs) No. They want to find the favor of God by expanding the family of God, knowing that that's where the power and authority always rests, that these three things were meant to go together. Last thing, one of the verses says, and they were filled with a sense of awe at the signs and wonders that the apostles were performing. Hey, hear my heart as your pastor. I'm not afraid of the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. I hope he does signs and wonders in our midst that we cannot explain. I hope we have an outbreak of the Holy Spirit that just leads to the glory and goodness of God and the sweetness of Jesus for him being more real than the chair that you're sitting in. But I will tell you this. I would trade all of that in for every single person in this room to live with passionate spirituality in radical community and out with missional zeal so that your own life lived will be its own sign and wonder. When people look at the family of God that they would say, 
oh my gosh, he's real. And I want to be a part of that family. Amen. So let's take 120 seconds. And what I just want you guys to do tonight is just think, hey, Lord, where are you calling me to step out, step in or step up? What's gotten out of line in my life? Where's the area that I need you most right now? Is it stepping up into my identity and passionate spirituality, connecting with the Father? Is that kind of gone by the wayside? Is it stepping into community, radical community, not just convenient or affinity community, but one where you're serving and sacrificing for one another when it's costly and consequential? Or is it stepping out? into authority to be the hands and feet of Jesus in a lost and broken world that there's some specific brokenness or woundedness or lostness that God has uniquely designed you to bring hope and healing in and through you even though you feel under-resourced and inadequate we want to be a part of the family of God and we want to fully participate in the family of God So, Father, would you show us where our next step of faith lies? We're listening.